You're listening to Sex Gets Real with Dawn Sarah. That's me. This is a place where we explore sex, bodies, and relationships from a place of curiosity and inclusion, tying the personal to the cultural, where you're just as likely to hear tender questions about shame and the complexities of love as you are to hear experts challenging the dominant stories around pleasure, body politics, and liberation. This is about the big and the small, about sex and everything surrounding it we don't usually name. The funny, the awkward, the imperfect happen here in service to joy, connection, healing, and creating healthier relationships with ourselves and each other. So welcome to Sex Gets Real. Don't forget to hit subscribe. Welcome to another episode of Sex Gets Real. I have been super swamped working on Explore More Summit 2020, which is shaping up to be so fucking amazing, but it also means I'm a little late on releasing the episode. I hope you'll forgive me. If you're listening to this on release day, then you know today has been a tough complicated day. In addition to growing concerns about the virus in China, Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others were killed in a helicopter accident in California. So just a little trigger warning, I am going to be mentioning an experience of rape. So that's going to take a couple of minutes. If you want to skip ahead, if you need that, that's okay. A lot of people are posting about their complicated feelings about this. And I want to invite us to sit inside of the messiness without pushing for answers or the need to be right. Kobe Bryant had a long career and inspired countless people during that time. So many current players grew up idolizing Kobe. He was a father to four daughters, three of whom survive his memory. The tragedy and the pain around his death are real. And for so many survivors, stuff like this is hard. It was the same when David Bowie died and so many others. I believe the woman who said Kobe raped her and held her against her will in his hotel room. Survivors know that fear. And the entitlement that so many powerful people have towards other people's bodies, the ways they objectify people they want something from. And Kobe's extraordinary wealth and resources helped make the problem disappear. Many people don't even know about his abuse. And he also yelled a gay slur at a ref during a game in 2011 out of anger. And it's something that most people would not say out of anger unless it was something they've said before. People can do extraordinary, magical things and abuse others. People can be amazing parents and rape someone. People can inspire an entire generation of athletes and cause deep harm. All of it can be true. That's the messiness of this reality. I can feel sad and angry. I can feel shocked and betrayed. As the news continues to unfold, please check on your friends who are survivors. 
it can be deeply triggering to see so many people celebrating someone who didn't really face accountability around the violence they caused. And for those of us who aren't feeling triggered, who aren't survivors, let us also send so much love and support to the Bryant family and the families of those on the helicopter who are facing enormous loss and grief, as well as the people who felt really connected to Kobe and what he offered to them. Allowing grief to be true does not decenter survivors and their pain. All of it is true. And we're asked to have the capacity to be able to hold that. Survivors, please take care of you, whether that's a social media break, asking for help, raging or grieving. We believe you. Okay, big breath. (laughs) So on today's episode, we are going to dive into some things that I saved just for you. And we're also going to dive into a few of your questions. So speaking of which, please email me if you could use some support, resources, validation, advice. There is a contact form at dawnsarah.com, and I would love to hear from you. And you probably think I'm just talking really generically out into the ether, and in a way I am, but I do mean you. Okay, so a couple of things that I saved so that I could share them with you. We're going to start with STIs or sexually transmitted infections. Three months ago, the U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention released a sexually transmitted disease surveillance report. And the findings are important, especially if you're a teen or in the 20 to 29 age bracket. So the the 2019 report analyzed 2018 data and found that it was the highest year of infection rates since data started being collected. So Dr. Gail Bolin, who's the director of the CDC's Division of STD Prevention, in the report wrote, not that long ago, gonorrhea rates were at historic lows. Syphilis was close to elimination, and we were able to point to advances in STD prevention. That progress has since unraveled. The number of reported syphilis cases is climbing after being largely on decline since 1941, and gonorrhea rates are now increasing. Many young women continue to have undiagnosed chlamydia infections, putting them at risk for infertility. So that was from Dr. Gail Bolin in the report. And one of the major concerns that the CDC is outlining, which we've also been hearing come out of places like the UK, and Australia are the growing number of gonorrhea cases that are resistant to antibiotics. And if resistant strains of gonorrhea keep spreading, there's a risk that it could become an incurable strain. It's also important to note that people who are pregnant, if you have syphilis and it's untreated, the study says that over 1,300 cases of congenital syphilis occurred last year. That's when a pregnant person passes syphilis onto their baby at birth and it resulted in 94 infant deaths. Syphilis is treatable. So if someone is pregnant or trying to become pregnant, it's so important to get a full STI screen, including for herpes, because there can also be complications around herpes and birth, and there are treatments for that. The report also says, and this is a quote, 
that rates of reported gonorrhea cases last year were highest among teens and young adults, as were reported cases of chlamydia. For primary and secondary syphilis, cases were highest among adults ages 25 to 29. Okay, so let's talk about what this means. First, you are not wrong, bad, dirty, gross, unlovable, less sexy, or in any way damaged if you have or have had an STI. Literally, the only reason there's a stigma is because it relates to sex. If you're around other humans, at some point in your life, you're going to end up with a cold or the flu or strep throat or pink eye and any number of other illnesses and diseases that get passed around because that's just what human bodies do. Viruses like to travel. Infections like to travel. That's how they stay alive. Gonorrhea, syphilis, chlamydia, HIV, HPV, they're no different. The flu is deadly to many people. But we don't call someone's worthiness into question when they have the flu. And the same is true for syphilis or HIV. Support, rest, care, treatment, that's what we need. And also communication. A big part of why STIs are on the rise is because stigma. The stigma is just so prevalent. People would rather not know their status than know and potentially have to have a conversation about it because we're terrified of communicating. And that's not a great way to care for yourself or the people in your life. Also, sex education funding has been slashed. Information about sex is becoming more and more difficult to find, so it means fewer young people have access to the information they really need to make informed decisions about their bodies and sex. If you're a teen or if you're in your 20s, you are in the groups who are experiencing the biggest impact. So get tested. Practice talking about sex and STIs with your friends so that it's easier to do with dates and partners. And remember, anyone who tries to push you to ignore a safer sex boundary does not deserve access to your body in any way. If you have younger people in your life, talk to them. Talk to them about sex. Talk to them about pleasure. Talk to them about these incredible bodies that they have and all of the wonderful things that they can experience. Talk about their worth as a human being. Practice engaging in conversations that might feel awkward. Do it with other adults in front of them so that they can see adults doing it. And also talk to young people about it so that they learn awkward isn't going to kill them. Isn't that a lesson all of us can use some practice with? Awkward isn't going to kill us. And sometimes amazing things are on the other side of awkward. Ensure that young people in your life have access to all of the safer sex supplies they might want and need. And if you think a young person isn't engaging in sexual activity, still make sure education and supplies are available to them. While most STIs are very treatable and manageable, we also don't want to help gonorrhea become treatment resistant or incurable by helping it spread. So tell those germs to fuck off by getting tested regularly, by engaging in sex with barriers, by talking about your needs, and asking people questions about the last time they were tested. This includes for oral sex, anal sex, intercourse. Barriers can be endlessly sexy. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. 
There are so many ways to make gloves and condoms and all of that stuff so freaking hot. I'm going to link to the MSN piece on the CDC study for this episode at donsarah.com slash EP291 for episode 291 if you want to check it out. I also, if you want something a little bit more fun, highly recommend watching the first episode of season two of Sex Education on Netflix. The way Otis, the main character, helps to destigmatize and calm folks down around a potential gonorrhea outbreak at his school is wonderful. All of us, no matter how old we are, could learn so much from how he handles these conversations with his peers and shares practical information. We need more of that. So way to go pop culture for helping to model the ways we can be having these conversations. Okay, up next, Sinclair Sexsmith recently pulled together a bunch of resources on chronic pain and sex. I'm going to link to it at donsarah.com slash EP291. So you can follow all of the people that Sinclair gathered up, read all of the blog posts, follow all of this awesome work because so many people deal with chronic pain from migraines to serious injuries to disability and beyond. Finding ways to feel pleasure and sexual connection while experiencing chronic pain can be complicated. And there are lots of people doing really awesome things out there, providing support and validation and suggestions and ideas and education. So be sure to check that out. first email this week comes from Jose. It reads, Hi Dawn, do you think a strong sexual relationship with yourself is healthy when compared with a partner? Also, a little embarrassing here, but do you think it's normal to want a male friend to masturbate with? Obviously, this won't be able to happen as I'm married, but it's been something I thought would be fun. I'm not interested in men. I didn't think so anyway, but I still think it would be kind of fun. I can't imagine what I must sound like here, but I hope you might be able to shed some light for me. Thanks for all you do in the world. You make it more special than you realize. Jose. Oh, hi, Jose. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the question because interestingly, I've actually gotten three emails from guys in the past couple of weeks all about this desire for masturbation buddy. So I don't know if it's the same person writing in multiple times or multiple people and it just happens to be the question of the day kind of thing, but let's explore it. So first, a strong sexual relationship with yourself is so important. We all define that differently depending on our body, our desires, the lives we lead, but there's something so important and valuable about being able to stay curious about our bodies, our sexuality, to touch ourselves, to fantasize. When we can remain curious, especially throughout the course of our lives, about our own pleasure, we're better able to bring that curiosity and delight into partnered sex too, if that's something we do. Each relationship is so different. 
that when we think about being in relationship and having a sexual relationship with ourselves, it can be unique and nuanced depending on so many things. So I think like an example is if you're partnered and your partner doesn't want to engage in partnered sex as often as you do, and you've both talked about that, it feels good. You've reached an understanding. So you spend time masturbating and delighting in your body and your pleasure. That's amazing. If you're partnered and things are tense, maybe there's old resentments and wounds. And instead of collaborating and healing together, you're avoiding sex and avoiding problems by masturbating and hiding. Then in a case like that, I'd say you probably would want to consider the health of your relationship and what kind of repair it needs. Because none of us should be hiding in our relationships. It's okay to want private time to masturbate on your own without announcing it to your partner. And it's okay to share it too. You and your partner get to decide what feels most nourishing and helpful for the both of you. But it's worth talking about. Because some people who were raised inside of um, very sex-negative cultures and households, maybe who were raised really religious, some people see masturbation as a form of cheating, um, as something that is really shameful. And if you take delight in your body and masturbating and your partner sees that as a betrayal, there can be a lot of really hurt feelings around that. So being able to work through it and talk about it, of course, you are allowed to delight in your body. But being able to really talk about that with a partner and to grow into that together can be a really wonderful thing. As for your other question, do you think it's normal to want a male friend to masturbate with? Like I said, I've strangely gotten this question like three times in the past couple of weeks from men. So apparently it's a thing that people are having questions about right now. The answer is, of course, lots of folks would love to have platonic masturbation buddies and do. Some people love being watched. It's not the person that turns them on or their gender so much as the act of being watched or caught. Some people just find that really hot. Other people love watching people touch themselves and the gender and the body parts may or may not matter. It's more about the watching and feeling like you're getting to see something private or getting to watch someone in their pleasure, or maybe it feels taboo. Some people love that thought of doing something that's naughty and it's the taboo that's hot rather than that you're attracted to men. Or it could be something else entirely. We have all sorts of fantasies because we're gloriously complex creatures. Not everything necessarily means something about our sexuality or our past. Sometimes it just seems fun and that's reason enough. So if the thought of that is fun and hot, savor it. If you ever have the opportunity to try it, why not? You might find it's just as hot as you imagined, or you might find that the reality doesn't live up to the fantasy. Both of those things are very common and normal responses to getting to experience a fantasy in real life. But either way, keep enjoying your body, savor your fantasies, and take the time to ask what your relationship might also need to feel more nourished, tended, and cared for too. I hope that's helpful, Jose. Thank you so much for writing in and thanks for listening.
This next question comes from Busy Cat. Busy Cat writes, Hello, Dawn. I have been listening to your podcast from London, and I really, really love your advice. I'm originally from Lisbon, Portugal, and my boyfriend, Flavio, is from Sardinia, Italy. I recently got a job proposal, and that means moving outside London, which I've been wanting to do, but away from my boyfriend. I recently talked to him about if he wanted to move with me. The rent is cheaper, there's less stress, it's a small town. However, he keeps saying more cons than pros. Things like, I can't come with you, or if I don't find a job and I need to commute. Though he has been pushing to move to another big city in the UK. He's very insecure and indecisive, and I am the complete opposite. We don't live together yet. However, we have been dating for over a year, and I don't want to play house anymore. How can I convince him that the move would benefit both of us without putting more pressure on our relationship? I'm just afraid if I move to a smaller town, it will put a strain in our relationship and we will soon be extinct. I look forward to hearing from you soon. From across the pond, lots of love, Busy Cat. Well, hello all the way in London, Busy Cat. Congratulations on the job proposal. That's really exciting. It sounds like from your email, moving to a small town outside of London is exactly what you've been wanting. And now that possibility is really real. But (laughs) it also sounds like your boyfriend is less sure about making that move. Now, ideally, you two would have worked this out before it got to a point where a job was being offered to you because that does create pressure. Now there is a time limit when something has to be decided. When we want to make big changes that are going to impact the people in our lives, especially if we want them to come with us as we make those changes, it can take time to work through big feelings, to ensure everyone's needs are being met, to dream into new possibilities, and to collaborate on what might come next. And that might take some time. But that didn't happen. And you are now in a position where you've been offered a job and a decision has to be made. So to answer your question, you can't convince him the move would benefit the both of you because you don't know that it will. What if he's miserable in a smaller town? What if he regrets it and begins to resent you? He needs to choose this for himself because it is a big change. So instead of trying to convince him, I would recommend that you first sit down and ask yourself, what is most important to you, busy cat? What would bring you the most joy? And then try to work with him to see if you two can make something happen that works for both of you. Would you be happier if you stayed in London a little longer, turned down the job, and had more time to work with Flavio on alternatives to where you're living, maybe dreaming into new possibilities? Or would you be happier to take the job, move to the small town, and then try to find a way to make the relationship work if possible? you probably have a sense of what would bring you the most joy. If finding jobs in other cities would be fairly easy for you and you really value this relationship ahead of that, 
then maybe now isn't the time. Maybe down the road, a couple months is the right time when you have had more time to kind of think about alternatives and to apply for some other things. But if this job is something you're really excited about and moving to a smaller town with fewer expenses would bring you a big sense of relief, you need to communicate that with Flavio and then ask if he can join you there. It sounds like he wants to be in a big city, whether it's London or another urban area in the UK. And it sounds like you are hungry for something smaller. Is there a middle ground? Is there a medium-sized town, maybe on the outskirts of a big city, where the cost of living is cheaper and things move at a slower pace, but where you can easily hop on a train and be surrounded by all the big city options 20 or 30 minutes later? Would you be willing to consider that option? And would he? Sometimes compromise feels important as a way to create new opportunities in a relationship. But sometimes compromise feels bad and it just causes a strain that can't be healed. Sometimes we just reach a point where we're mismatched. And I think ultimately you have to ask yourself what it is you want. And then you need to ask Flavio what he wants. And if it feels good, spend some time dreaming up possible creative solutions If there's a clear way forward, awesome. And if there isn't, you might just be at a point of having to make a tough choice. You're allowed to want these things, a new job, a less stressful life, cheaper living expenses, all things that would probably improve your mental health. And he's allowed to not be ready. It doesn't mean you don't love each other, that there's not care there. It might just mean that you want different things. Relationships can certainly survive transitions like this, as uncomfortable as it might be. Relationships can become stronger across a distance, but it is different and it does require effort. But only you know yourself and whether you'd be up for that. So talk to him. If he has trouble making a decision or if he's really unsure, let him know how much you love him how much fun you think it would be to go on this new adventure together, invite him to join you, and then leap towards your new life. He'll either join you or he won't. But trying to convince him or force him with lots of arguments, if he's not sure, isn't the way. Because the chance that he'll resent you later if things are hard or don't work out becomes very high. So I hope that you can take some time to really think about your pleasure and happiness and then see what you two can create around that and if it's possible to make something happen, whether this is a new beginning for both of you or just for you. It does sound like you know what you want and now there's an opportunity to make that happen. Good luck to you, busy cat. I hope you two are able to find a way to make it happen and no matter what, congratulations on the job proposal. Before we get to this last email for this week's episode, patrons, don't forget if you support at $5 a month and above, which is just like $1.25 a week, you not only get to hear bonus content every week, but you can also help me answer listener questions. And there's a new listener question that I just posted a couple of days ago that I would love your help answering. 
And if you support it $3 a month and above, you get access to all kinds of bonus content. And there is going to be something going up on Monday of this week for all of you who support the show. So head to patreon.com slash SGR podcast for Sex Gets Real, SGR podcast, and check that out. I also want to report, I have a number of super rad interviews officially on the books uh, that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. So you're going to hear some really amazing voices uh, in the coming weeks and months, and I'm ridiculously excited about it. So keep tuning in for that. Okay, our final email comes from Ashamed, and it says, Dawn, I've been trying to write this email to you for about six months. And every time I lose my nerve and delete it. I found you through your interview with Christy Harrison on Food Psych, and I just don't know where to turn. I am in a fat body. Saying that is hard for me because I'm really new to fat activism and I'm in recovery for an eating disorder. I face so much stigma as someone who had an eating disorder that almost killed me while being in a fat body. The abuse I faced from medical professionals was traumatizing. Anyway, my body and I have a tough relationship because I've been struggling with disordered eating in my body since middle school. I'm now in my 30s and I know virtually nothing about sex. I have only masturbated a few times and reaching my genitals is kind of difficult for me because of the shape of my body. And I've only had sex a few times, and I was definitely doing it out of obligation, not because I wanted to or enjoyed it. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't great because I couldn't be there or ask for anything. So here's why I'm writing to you. I feel ashamed that it's difficult for me to reach my vulva. I feel ashamed that I don't really know how to masturbate. I'm scared to try. But after years of avoiding my body, I'm starting to feel ready to try, even though I'm really scared about it all. Can you give me some advice or reassure me or something because I get so freaked out and then I avoid it for months before I feel an urge again? Help. How do I masturbate while fat? I'm so ashamed. Thanks for what you do and please be gentle. Ashamed. What an extraordinary feat of courage that it took for you to write to me. I really mean that. I promise you. There are so many people who want to write in with their own questions, but just don't feel ready. And it's okay to not feel ready, but the fact that you hit send even while it was scary is the literal definition of courage. So I want to just start by celebrating that. Speaking about our shame is a really powerful thing because shame thrives in silence. Shame wants us to hide. It wants us to shrink. It wants us to silence ourselves, to not tell anybody. It tells us that we're the only one, that we're worthless. And the fact that you're feeling shame and still we're able to reach out and share, that is a powerful antidote to shame. So that is the definition for me of courage and badass. 
And I also just want to say thank you for trusting me with this. I love that you found me through Christy's awesome podcast. For anyone listening, if you haven't tuned into Food Psych yet, you are missing something amazing. And Christy is actually going to be a guest on the show super soon. We've got our interview scheduled and on the calendar, and I cannot wait. And I'm also so sorry, ashamed that you experienced so much trauma around your eating disorder. The violence that people in larger bodies face from doctors and eating disorder specialists is real. And it is a special kind of abuse of hell. No one should have to experience that ever. You can have an eating disorder in any sized body. And anyone who tells you that you should be losing weight when you have an eating disorder, nope, not okay. That's violence. You did not deserve what happened to you. But I am happy to hear that you're in recovery. And I hope, I hope so much that that means you found some support from folks who are affirming of your experiences and affirming of your body. Okay, so the first thing I want to say, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being where you are. You do not have to change. You do not have to force anything. You do not have to push yourself. Sometimes avoiding is exactly what we need as part of our healing. So before we get to anything else, I want to give you permission to sit with the question. Does this feel like something you're ready for, even if it's scary or a little uncomfortable? Or does exploring your body and masturbation feel like something you should do because of external stories or because of shame. If it's the latter, know that you don't owe anyone anything around your body and your relationship with it. You are allowed to not know. You're allowed to focus on other aspects of your healing and your pleasure. And this doesn't have to be where you go right now. If it's the former and you really do feel like this is an edgy place that might be scary and awkward, but something you're ready for, then That's exciting. It's the beginning of an adventure that you get to create for yourself at whatever pace feels right for you. It's also okay if you start down this path and reach a certain point where it feels too triggering and then decide to put it on hold for a while. Your body and your genitals and your pleasure will be there when you're ready to circle back. There is no rush. So let's talk about pleasure, because ultimately when we're talking about masturbation, hopefully we're also talking about pleasure. For so many folks who have had experiences with disordered eating and eating disorders, pleasure can be particularly complicated. Pleasure is one of the most beautiful tools we have for healing. But pleasure isn't always available to everyone for a variety of reasons, and it's important that we note that, because so many people treat pleasure as something that we just do, but it can be really difficult. Pleasure happens in the body, in the present moment. So it can be difficult to feel pleasure when we're outside of ourselves and not really here because maybe it doesn't feel safe. And that's another piece of this puzzle. Our brains can only code something as pleasurable if we are experiencing a certain amount of relative safety. That's just how we're wired for survival. It makes sense. If we are in a situation where there's a chance we're going to be eaten, 
then relaxing to feel good and to kind of bring our bodies down and offline probably isn't the way we survive. So it makes sense we're wired that way. But it also doesn't mean we have to feel totally safe in all the ways because that's just not really possible in these mammalian bodies of ours in a world that's so violent and abusive where oppression and so many other things exist. But it's about relative safety. Can we feel safe enough that we can relax a little bit, that we can arrive in the here and now, at least for a little teeny while, and start feeling into some of what's here? So my question for you, Ashamed, is what is your relationship to pleasure as a whole? This might be an opportunity to go on a quest and to get to know pleasure in all its forms, from the smallest to the biggest. The more we know pleasure in our everyday lives, the more pleasure becomes possible in more vulnerable places and situations. Are you able to experience pleasure in the foods you eat? Do you enjoy it? Are you able to experience pleasure in the spaces you're in? What about pleasure and sound, pleasure and smells? What kinds of movement feel pleasurable? Even if it's something as simple as just moving back and forth under the hot water in the shower to feel the temperature changes. This kind of exploration helps us to start arriving in our body in really gentle ways. Can I feel this cold water on my hands? And if I can feel it, do I like it? I might like it now, but not later. That's important. Can I feel these clothes on my body? If I can, what fabrics do I like best? Where is it really comfortable and where is it uncomfortable? As you start to kind of have this dialogue of noticing and inquiring, it starts to become easier when we finally turn our attention towards our genitals. But masturbation does not. I repeat, masturbation does not have to involve our genitals at all. We can get off in so many creative and awesome ways from breathgasms and thinking our way to peaks of pleasure and release via fantasy to touching our breasts or massaging our feet or feeling nails on our back or a flogger. There is so much pleasure available to us that can be erotic and sensual or even sexual without ever getting our genitals involved, which means for you, ashamed, There is so much to discover long before you ever have to get to your genitals, if you get there at all. Some people's most pleasurable experiences have nothing to do with their genitals, and that might be you too. So let's talk a little bit about masturbation, genitals, and being in a bigger body. First, this is totally normal. Literally from the beginning of human beings existing on the planet, bodies have come in different shapes and sizes. It is not new. But there are fat people, that people are tall or short. Some people in fat bodies carry a lot of their weight in their hips and thighs, while others carry a lot of their weight in their chest and arms, others in their belly. Some people have long arms, some people have shorter arms, some people are really flexible, some people are not. And besides just natural body diversity, that's not even getting into all the other ways that bodies can be, aging bodies, disabled bodies, from a bad back 
to chronic injuries, to a huge variety of disabilities, not everyone can reach their genitals with their own hands. And there is nothing wrong with that at all. It's just how some bodies are or how some bodies become over time. If reaching your genitals is difficult for you, maybe experimenting with different positions and support would change that. Some pillows or like a wedge behind you might give you more reach. That's a trick of mine that I use, especially when I'm having really bad back days. That gives me an opportunity to touch more parts of my body without having to strain. Also, long-handled sex toys are your friend. Wands often have really long handles and help you to reach all sorts of areas that hands and arms can't reach no matter what kind of body you're in. There's sex furniture that comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes, and some of them allow you to connect sex toys to them for all sorts of fun. And whether you're touching yourself with your hand or with a toy, one is not better than the other. It's touch, and hopefully you find a way for it to be pleasurable because this is about pleasure and knowing ourselves. And there's lots of ways to know ourselves and to experience pleasure. Some people really get off from humping pillows. They like the pressure and the friction. Other people really love the spray of a shower head on a hose that they can put into different places of their body. Both of those might be super pleasurable for you, and there's no need to get a hand on your vulva in either of those cases. And those are just two examples. There's so many others. And I think the kind of funny thing about genitals and bodies in general is no one, no one knows what your genitals like except for you because you're the only one that can feel it. And the only way to figure out what feels good, if you want to figure it out because you don't have to, is through experimentation. And when we're experimenting, it's not only about the mechanics It's also about the context and our mental state. I might love a wand vibrator on my clit when I'm in my bedroom, after I've watched some porn, but that same sensation of the wand might really not be pleasurable and enjoyable if I'm angry or disconnected or in a place that feels uncomfortable or unsafe. I mean, the reality is sometimes panic attacks hit me right when I'm in the middle of masturbating or having sex. And it can feel really frustrating and disappointing, but I have to stop because it's too uncomfortable to continue. Sometimes it makes my panic attacks worse. Context matters. Maybe you like a shower head to masturbate with, but only if you're already really turned on. Maybe you enjoy riding a pillow while you watch porn so that you can match their movements. Maybe using a toy on yourself feels best after a really long bath and rubbing oils all over your body so that you're glimmering like a deity in the moonlight. It's all part of the exploring and the adventure of it all. And I think the really exciting part is that what brings us pleasure changes over time So we get to be on this curious quest for life. And the more that we start developing that practice of being curious about our body, the more opportunities we're going to have for pleasure throughout the course of our lives. Some people find it helpful to pull out a mirror and actually look at their genitals to get to know them a little bit. Other people 
it's less about seeing and more about starting to feel into different sensations and types of arousal as a way to get to know themselves. There's no wrong way as long as you're listening to your body and trusting your edges. Maybe your hand will never really be able to touch your vulva. That is nothing to be ashamed of. Lots of people are in that same position. Sex toys, sex furniture, creativity, all of that can go a really long way. And there's no shame in getting help from a professional, like a somatic sex educator or a sex worker. Sometimes having someone help us to experiment, to find what works, someone who has a lot of experience and who has worked with lots of bodies, is exactly what we need so that we can then go do those delicious things on our own. I would also suggest visiting a feminist sex toy store like Sugar in Baltimore or Shebop in Portland, Shag in Brooklyn, Self Serve in Albuquerque, or any number of other shops that are feminist and queer run. It might feel too scary because you're really having a relationship with your shame right now to walk in and ask for help, like face to face, tell somebody, here's what's going on for me. What toys would you suggest? But you can send an email, no matter where you are in the world, to one of those awesome shops and ask them for suggestions and toys that might work for you and your body. That's exactly why they're there. They know so much about their products and which ones might be a great fit for older bodies or arthritic bodies or disabled bodies or trans bodies and fat bodies and everything else. Asking for help from someone who really knows different toys that are on the market could be exactly what you need to find something that's a great fit. I would also recommend Joellen Naughty, who uh, has this awesome blog called The Redhead Bedhead, has so many sex toy reviews, especially wands. Joellen loves wands. So you can go there to find a whole bunch of information about wands that often have really long handles. And also Joellen has lots of different feminist sex shops featured on her blog. So that can be a way to find some maybe that are closer to you. And then Elle Chase has a book called Curvy Girl Sex. And that's all about sex for folks in bigger bodies. Both of those might be helpful resources. Another thing that I highly recommend, and this is for people in any kind of body, but we're talking about fat bodies today. So I recommend finding some porn that features fat bodies in a non-fetishizing way. There's some really toxic shit out there where fat folks are being humiliated and really taken advantage of and fetishized in a way that most of us probably wouldn't find super sexy, especially if we're kind of new to having a relationship with our bodies. Some people really love it, but I think probably what you might be interested in ashamed is going to somewhere like Crash Pad, by Pink and White Productions. They have several performers in bigger bodies, and it can be so fun to actually see with your own eyes fat bodies not only being desired and pleasured, but seeing the way that they use toys on themselves, the ways that they position their bodies, the ways they touch themselves. You do not have to figure this out alone. There are lots of people who are having all kinds of delicious sex in fat bodies who can support you around this and that you can learn from. I also just want to say if you'd like some professional personalized support, 
a sex coach like me or a sex therapist might also be helpful and working through some of the shame and helping you to come up with small manageable steps and exploring your pleasure. Sometimes it really helps to combat shame to not do it alone because you deserve to feel good in this body of yours exactly as it is. You deserve to know your body and to begin to trust it. You deserve pleasure. Your body really is waiting for you and it wants to be heard. You just need to decide what feels available to you right now as you navigate recovery and then trust that you have lots of time to play and experiment and find your way because there is nothing wrong with your body or its shape or where you are right now. So ashamed, I really hope that that helped. If you'd like to explore coaching with me, details are at donsarah.com. I do have some space in my practice right now. I would love to hear from you. And I want to wish you luck. All of this pleasure awaits. It's just out there waiting for you to find it. All right. That is it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here with me. Patrons, be sure to head to patreon.com slash SGR podcast tomorrow for this week's bonus. And if you want to help me field listener questions, that is there too if you support at the $5 level. Thank you so much for being here. Have a terrific week and I will talk to you next time. Bye. You used to light up like a spark. Now you're blue, treading water in the dark. A huge thanks to the vocal few, the married duo behind the music featured in this week's intro and outro. Find them at vocalfew.com. Head to patreon.com slash sex gets real to support the show and get awesome weekly bonuses. As you look towards the next week, I wonder... What will you do differently that rewrites an old story, revitalizes a stuck relationship, or helps you to connect more deeply with your pleasure? So don't be ashamed. Love is a 